Hi, everybody. Today's episode is with Vanessa Cornell of Nushu, and that is N-U-S-H-U. You're going to love her. She's fantastic. I'm, I met her on a virtual uh, meetup, and we've talked several times, and she's just absolutely fantastic, doing great work in the world, and talks about the power of community and truth, and I am all about this life. I am all about this, this truth life. <laughs> it's good. It's good on this side of things. I'm super proud to bring this interview to you, and I hope you all very much enjoyed this episode with Vanessa Cornell. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. We are on a video with Vanessa Cornell. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Meredith. I'm so happy to be here. So glad you're here. So Vanessa is the founder of Nushu, and we will talk about, we'll get into that a little bit more as we go. But offline, we were starting to talk about getting woke <laughs> in, in light of everything that's going on and how um, using our platforms and, and our particular audience and, and lanes to do good where we can and to figure out what our, our voice is and, and how to make change in, in our own little world. And so I was like, let's just record because we're talking yeah. <laughs> about all this stuff. So first of all, how are you doing? Like, you know, global pandemic, there's that. And um, you have a lot of kids. <laughs> yeah, I and, um, I, have five, I have five kids. Yeah, five yeah. kids. That's a lot. Um, that's three more than I have. And like, how, how's how are you doing? And, and just let's let's go there. Yeah, I, I, I'm doing well. But when I say I'm doing well, that doesn't mean I'm like bopping along and happy and everything's good. You know, I'm feeling all the feels very deeply. Um, I felt them deeply when the pandemic happened. I went through a wave of, of tremendous grief. I'm feeling them now um, in a deep way, lots of different feelings intensely. But I think, you know, what I realize is all of my work on myself up till now is for this, is for this mm. moment where I can say, yes, I can allow myself to feel all of these things and not have to pull away from them because I'm not afraid I'm going to drown because I've been That's practicing. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I've been practicing feeling the bad feelings and knowing that the only way through is through. And, you know, all of those feelings and, and it, I'm not pretending that there haven't been lots of moments where there have been instincts to run away, yeah, to numb, to hide, to make it go away, to self-soothe. Um, but I catch them. <laughs> I see them. I'm like, oh, there you are. You, you <laughs> I little know thing. You. I know you trying to run away from those hard feelings, trying to run away from that feeling of shame, trying to, especially shame. Shame's a, you know, Shame's one that I really, really don't enjoy. 
you know. But right. there is so much information there. And the only way to really get the information is to sit in it. And so I've been doing a lot of sitting in deeply uncomfortable um, places to try and get some clarity on what to do, you know, how to, yeah. how to be, how to shift what I see so that I can make good change and not just sit in what's been. So, yeah. Yeah. so I'm, I'm good. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm like, great. Like, You're good, great. like great. You know, yeah. I don't feel anything. I only feel the good feelings like that. That's not what I mean. I just mean, right. um, you know, I'm, it, it's it's an intense period because it should be intense. Right. This is not intense for you. You need to go work on like not numbing yourself from what's happening. It, well, it that, should you raise feel a good intense. Point. You raise a good a good point. The numbing that's happening uh, that I'm seeing is in the form of turning away. That is the current cultural numbing. It's like, I'm, this isn't about me. I'm turning away. I'm not going to engage in this dialogue. I'm not going to be a part of, that is the new numbing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, or it's like the, the time, that's what I'm noticing at least. And, um, but let, let's back up. Let's talk yeah. about who you are. You have such a great um, story. And I, I definitely like, let's start there and then work our way forward to new shoe and, and, and keep going. So tell yeah. us who you are. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, I tell this story only in the context of how it brought me to Nushu, but I was raised, you know, in a very loving family where, um, feelings were not particularly discussed. And, um, I was also raised in a family where there was an expectation of performance. There was an expectation of per perfection and I was rewarded for that. And I was good in school and I was good at sports and I got a lot of positive feedback for that. So I learned very early on, I know, I know how to be worthy of love. I'm going to be perfect for everybody around me and I'm going to take care of everybody around me. Mm, yes. And that is the narrative that Kate went through, you know, school, um, after school. And I continued that when I got married and I had children and I had five kids in six years and was pregnant breastfeeding or both for eight. And I was just, you know, I just got it done and I put my head down and I did it and I didn't complain. And then I found myself in a place where I was so deeply disconnected from who I was because I realized I had been living my life for everybody else's expectations my whole life. Now, I tell this story not because I think it's particularly special. <laughs> I think I tell the story because whenever I tell it, I see in the audience all these people nodding their heads, right. all these people. You know, it's not a special story. It's everybody has part of that in their story. Um, and for me, I was an A-plus student. And so I was A-plus also at doing everything everyone ever expected me to do to such an extreme that I had completely lost myself. And it really came to a head. And after I weaned my last baby, where it had just been give, 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 give all the time. And there's this um, particularly for women narrative of just give and give and give and put yourself last. That just broke for me. 
Um, it broke open like a dam and it was not pretty Meredith. It was not a pretty scene. Um, my poor husband, who's a saint who stuck with it, stuck with me through it, but it broke me open to a rediscovery of who I was and what I needed and what my voice could be and what I could do in the world. And that was really the origin of Nushu. And there's been so much learning, continuous learning through the process of, of trying to understand where my truth lies, where my path is. And I see my work in the world as just listening and paying attention to hear and know what I already have inside, which is a true path of what I'm supposed to be doing. That's my faith system. That's what I believe. And I think I'm getting closer <laughs> in my work uh, because it feels really right. Yeah. Yeah. So what does Nushu mean? I, lo I love the meaning behind the word Nushu. Yeah. So Nushu literally in Chinese means women's language. Nu is woman and Shu is language. And Nushu was a language in ancient China that was developed by women to communicate with each other because they were denied formal education. And so no men ever spoke Nushu. Women spoke it amongst each other, and it was a written language, a phonetic language. It was also a language of tribute. They used to write it on fans or embroider it into gowns as women or girls would leave the village during rites of passage. So it's this hidden um, women's language. And, you know, I went through this whole... <laughs> branding exercise, right? Where it's like, you've got all the names and you, you know, want to hire these fancy companies. And it was the first name I ever thought of. And then after, you know, I don't know how many names, of course, I came back to the first name I thought of that I yeah. questioned and then realized, no, that's actually it. It's really good. Because I, I didn't know that I knew Nushu, but I didn't know the story until until you were on that call with Handel Group, yeah. and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's, that's great!" So yeah, good to, good for you to go back to that because it's yeah, it's it sums it up so well. I mean, yeah, the mission, the the language is, is very good. So what is Nushu about? Yeah, so Nushu when it started was really about bringing together women around me who wanted to learn in the way that I did who wanted to open their minds, who wanted to um, be curious about themselves, personal inquiry and, and growth. And what I did was I gathered these groups of women together and I brought in teachers. So I brought in, you know, Dr. Shafali and Kate Northrup and Bob Roth and all these wonderful teachers with great insights. And they were incredible and people grew so much through that experience. But what I then realized was I had done two things. I had brought in great teachers, but I had also created an environment of safety where women were comfortable exploring these ideas. So there had to be trust there. There had to be a sense of you can be open and honest with what's going on in your life and tell the truth, and you're not going to be judged in this space. And what I realized was that was the thing. That was the magic. It was that place where you could go and you could say the thing that was on your mind that you felt nobody wants to hear. Mm. And you could say that thing where you felt, oh, I'm a little bit ashamed of this, or I shouldn't feel this, or I shouldn't say this out loud. And what I saw over and over and over again was just the pure act of saying something out loud 
had such a catalytic effect. It was that just taking it outside of your head where it's spinning, voicing it and putting it out into the world and being received by other people with non-judgment and love and compassion. And I saw again and again when people would say something out loud and somebody across the room would nod and I could see, oh, this is what's happening. There's healing happening on both sides. So people were sharing their stories and I realized they were sitting in the seat of the healer and the healed simultaneously. It was healing them to tell their story and they were sharing their story and someone else was saying, I am not alone. I am not the only one. Yeah. And so this space of we are not going to fix you in this space. This is not a workshop for your problems. You're not going to share your problem and we're going to give you advice and tell you what to do or teach you or guide you. We're not even going to do that. You're just going to say what you need to say. And that is enough because you don't need to be fixed and nothing about what you have to say needs to be fixed in this moment. It's just a place to say it out loud. And so I started facilitating groups uh, with very clear boundaries on what the group was for and what the group was not. And the contract between people when they are in these groups and what they're doing for each other. And I really realized that this was an incredibly underutilized modality. So I'm not pretending that I've invented anything, right? I mean, people have been sitting in circles since the beginning (laughs) of time, right? Like this is not an invention. And there are, there are women's circles that happen. There are men's circles that happen. There are groups that happen. They're happening. You know, I'm not the only one doing this, but it's not in the mainstream in the way that I think it should. I think it's underutilized. So for example, you know, meditation is not new, right? right? It's not even close to new. It's ancient. But now you can say to somebody, oh, do you have a meditation practice? And they might say, yes, I do. Or no, I don't. But everybody knows what it is. And if you want it, you have access to it. Yoga is not new, right? Yoga is ancient. It's been around forever. But now you can say, do you have a yoga practice? You may not. You, you may or you may not. But you have access to it if you want. And to me, group is not in that category, and it should be. And so that's mm. really my mission, is to, to empower people to understand how to hold space for other people and to give many, many, many more people access to what I think is one of the most simple yet powerful modalities that exists. Just having a space where you're allowed to say what you need, be who you are, and simply be seen. And so what do the groups look like? And, and what are the sizes? And I mean, I'm just starting to work with you. So I, I literally am asking for myself. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and how does it work? And how is it different from, oh, gosh, forbid the Facebook groups? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when you say groups, I'm like, oh, I'm so tired from this week that I've had with groups. But I know yeah. that New Shoe is not that kind of group. So talk about the groups a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. The groups that I facilitate and, you know, I was a hardcore in real life person before the pandemic. And so I've always done it in a room. I've always said, you know, 
nervous system to nervous system. We're going to do this in a room together. And I've talked to a lot of people about that. And there is, there is real truth to that, right? Putting nervous systems in a room together. When you say something that you feel is so shameful and you are received by other nervous systems who that say to you without words, it's okay. We love you. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing that you said makes me want to pull away from you or pull my love away from you that is that that is deeply especially powerful. especially growing up like if you grew up in a family where you were performance space for love yeah so yeah. To, to be in a room that no one cares that you made straight a's that right. that's not your your worthiness i can see how that would be very powerful yeah so so i started out you know hardcore in a room in real life but with the pandemic i decided some connection is better than no connection and I, I opened my mind to doing it virtually. And what I discovered is there are drawbacks and there are benefits to doing it virtually. I do groups from eight to 12 people virtually. And it is extraordinary because what happens is you have somebody from Geneva and from San Francisco and from Toronto and from Buenos Aires. And, and the connection that is available across continents, across countries, and for people who might never have access to something like this is incredible. It's something I've discovered. I am I'm really grateful that I was forced to discover. But um, so I hold, I hold these groups, they're eight to 12 people, and I bring strangers together in a room and I set the framework for what the intention is I set the framework for what we are doing, which is holding space for each other, what what we are not doing, which is fixing or problem solving or therapy. And I share prompts for people to share. And the prompts can be pretty open-ended. And what I've discovered is I'll give people a couple of options and they'll take the prompt that triggers in them what they needed to share. Mm. So I've always... I w- I've always felt very um, clear about one thing, and it, and it was taught to me by a dear teacher of mine, which is, it's for the facilitator, it's intention, not outcome. So in a group, if I as a facilitator am really focused on everyone opening up, I'm really going to get them to go deep. I'm really going to get them to share. That is for me. That is for me, not for them. Mm. And so for some people, a breakthrough will be to say, you know, I don't really do feelings. I don't really do my (laughs) own feelings. You know, I had somebody in a group say to me, I don't really do feelings. And that's all she shared. And that was perfect for her. And then I might have someone who talks about something really intense that's happened and really shares and opens up to the group. And to me, those are equal. Did you have to wonder what the woman who said she didn't do feelings was doing there, though? (laughs) I mean, it seems funny to want to be a part of a group. Um, Yeah, I don't don't know. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, Meredith, I, I have seen people show up time and time and time again who are bursting, bursting to say something. Yeah. Because they have nowhere to say it. Yes. Because it's not socially acceptable 
to sit next to someone at a dinner table who says, how are you? And say, and tell them the truth. (laughs) Actually, actually, you asked, let me tell you, let me tell you, like my marriage is falling apart. I feel that whatever, whatever, it's not acceptable. There's nowhere to say that. So I have a lot of people who are bursting. And then I have, I think a lot of people who are just, they want to, but they're dipping their toe in. And I think that what I say to people is, group is a safe place to dip your toe in. (laughs) It's a safe place to dip your toe into real, honest truth telling. Because truth telling is hard out in the world Mm. with the baggage of the people and needing their approval and their love. And it's challenging. It's difficult. I get it. But group is not about go be the performative person or whatever your stuff is out in the world (laughs) and then come and tell tell the truth in group where it's safe. No, group is about come and tell the truth and see what it feels like to tell the truth and have people not run away. Because mm-hmm. I think what, what there's, this pers- there's this sort of belief system that people think if I tell you who I am, if I really tell you the truth of who I actually am, you will run away and you will no longer love me. So I cannot tell the truth because if I do, I will lose everybody. I will lose you or whatever. I will lose something. But what actually happens, which is amazing, it's 180% the opposite. Now, I don't think it's true in every situation that if you tell the truth, someone's going to become closer to you. Yeah, sometimes it's going to go in the other way. But the truths I hear shared, you know, people will say something and they'll be like, oh, I feel so ashamed. And everyone in the room will be like, that's it? That's it? That's the thing? That's the thing yeah. that you were afraid if you said it out loud, people wouldn't love you anymore? That that thing? Yeah. Really? And so there's this, there's this weird, like, fear of actually saying all those things out loud. And so what happens in group is you say them out loud and, are, and people sort of say, oh, really? That's it? I actually feel the same. A lot of times I feel the same way. I really relate to that. And I don't think less of you at all. I think more of you. And so then people go out into their real lives outside of the group and they say, okay, I think actually this truth is something I can say out in the world and I can be and I can own out in the world. So it's not about, you know, do your life and then come into group and share in group and need to be in group for the rest of your life because that's the only place that's safe to tell the truth. Like, no, that's not the point. This is the place to practice in a place of love and compassion. And I think everybody needs that place of permission where we all sort of agree, like, I'll listen to your shit if you listen to mine. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, that's our contract here. That's our contract. Like, you know what? Maybe you don't want to burden your family with it or your friends with it or they're busy or whatever. It's like, okay, everyone has their stuff to bring and I'm, I'm here to listen to yours and you're here to listen to mine. Oh, that's so good. So um, a couple of things I want to say in response to that. So several years ago, I had Lauren Zander on my podcast, like three years ago, the founder, founder of the Handel Group. And she had said, you know, when you start to tell the truth, like you'll be set free. And she, you know, part of the Handel method is telling all your lies and all of, and I was like, this woman is a crazy person. Like I will never, I will never 
Well, fast forward three years, I am absolutely ever, and I'm very mired in it. I'm training to be a coach, like all of it, like truth telling. And yep. it's interesting because I had another conversation with a good friend two years ago. We were in Boston and we were talking about politics. And I said, I'm just not political on, on my social. Uh, it's just not who I am. It's not why people come to me. And, it's, and she was like, really? That kind of surprises me about you. And I said, well, it's just how it is. And fast forward to 20 days ago, yeah. it changed. It changed because I've been telling the truth in other areas of my life. And when Ahmaud Arbery was killed, it was, I could no longer be quiet because I'd been practicing this truth. I'd been practicing yeah. it with my family. I had told my parents all my lies I'd ever told them. And their response to all of my lies was exactly what you said. That's it. That's all you've lied to us about in your whole life. And I'm like, yes. And, and when you start to do that, when you start to tell your truth and, and you're right, like a lot of people left me on social. Oh, well, goodbye. <laughs> um, bye. Good. Bye. See you. <laughs> um, but that is not the consequence of telling the truth. The consequence of telling the truth is you're free. And so I love what you're doing because it, it almost is like a practice because once you're practicing truth telling when you've never done it before, and, and not necessarily truth telling in a way like this is the truth, but in a way that this is my truth, um, everything begins to change and then you can do it in the world and, and, and then you do it on your social media and you don't care. Like I have had zero regrets about standing where I stand. Zero. I, I regret that I checked my inbox on Messenger. You know, I regret that I listened to that I read some messages I got, um, but I don't regret telling the truth. Yeah. And so I love the work you're doing. It's so powerful. It has so many other implications. So good. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think um, if you stand firmly in your truth, there is no one who can touch you. No. There is just no one who can touch you. It is the most powerful place to stand. And anyone who throws darts at you, they just deflect because they can't penetrate if you're really standing in that truth. And, and also if you've told the truth on yourself. So for you know, sure. if you've been really honest about who you are, how you've messed up, all the lies you've told. And because um, I had an incident come down where some these two people were talking about me on um, Messenger and then they screenshotted it and posted it on their stories on Instagram about why they hated Meredith Atwood. And it was like, well, she was a drunk and she didn't take care of her kids. And she said she was a fraud. And I'm like, yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. I sure did. I told you that. Like, tell me something new about me that I haven't told you. Like, they're just repeating yeah. my truth that, yeah, I was a sloppy drunk. Yeah. There's a, there's a New York Post article called, I was a bad drunk mom. <laughs> I was interviewed for it. I told right. the New York Post. I mean, but that four years ago would have destroyed me. Yeah. It would have, even though it was true. It was because I did not tell that truth. I didn't stand up and say it. And so you're right. When you tell your truth, even the hard stuff, no one can touch you. You're just like, I already told you that. What are you, you're just repeating me? Yeah. <laughs> good for you. And, you good and I mean, skills. my entire, my, the basis of my entire personal practice, call it spiritual practice or personal work is always about the truth. And so, mm. yes, there are the like big gnarly, nasty lies that we think of as lies. But to me, 
those are already, I've already like gotten through all of those. It's like the micro lies, the like mini micro lies we tell ourselves. And so my practice is always sort of like, which one can I uncover next? What can I uncover next? I'm triggered. What was that really about? Yeah. Oh, oh shit. Oh, (laughs) it was about, oh, it was about that. It was about my fear of rejection. It was about, you know, my fear of, people not, you know, approving of me. Oh, it was about my fear of, you know, fill in the blank of what it was. But it's a constant discovery of why did I do that? Why was I triggered by that? Looking under the hood, looking under the hood, looking under the hood over and over and over again. And, And I think that, you know, when I think about the concept of God, you know, some people relate to that word well. Some people don't. Some people have other words for it. There are a lot of different words that people use. But to me, the word that's always resonated is truth. The thing that simply is that we just don't see clearly and Mm. that my life's work is just to have clear sight about what is and that that lives in me and that lives outside of me And I'm just course correcting, course correcting, course correcting, trying to bring myself closer to what is. And to me, there is deep divinity in that. And that's my my personal faith system. But that is the guidepost, really, of my whole life and everything that I do. And that involves needing to look at yourself with deep honesty. Yes. Deep humility all of the time and being willing to admit everything you find. (laughs) Everything. Willing to say everything you find out loud, even when it feels gnarly. Especially when it feels gnarly. Especially when it feels gnarly. But the thing is, when it comes out of your face, it suddenly (sighs) loses its power. It's when it's festering inside of us. Like when you said you had, you know, you had five kids in six years and eight years of breastfeeding or being Mm -hmm. pregnant and you had this not breakdown, but break moment. um, You had to tell yourself the truth in that moment. Like, I can't do this anymore. And and it doesn't have to be that moment always if we learn to tell it along the way, right? Yeah, I actually think that the way I think of it is the truth had been suppressed for so long Mm. that it was the truth that broke out. Not that I broke it out. I didn't break it out. There was no choice in that moment. I was wild and out of control and I had no idea what was going on. And I look back and I say, it was the deep knowing and truth inside of me subconsciously that broke out, that I'm now trying to have a really intimate relationship with, but at the time was like, you are so dense. I need to smack <laughs> you on the head. You know? yes. I just need to smack you on the head. And so to me, it's like, it was a power both beyond me and inside me. It was fully inside me. It was my own deep knowing that was whacking me on the head and uh it was also beyond me something beyond me that's such a good way to put it wow 
Wow. So what have you learned in the last year? Because I know if I broke down my last year, it's been, I've learned so much. <laughs> like, yeah, so many life lessons. It's part of me is like, when am I going to stop learning all these life lessons? This is getting a little old, but the most profound lessons have happened in the last year and a half for me in my whole life. So what have you learned in the last year? And um, has it been, you know, this obviously half of this year has been unexpected. <laughs> yeah. But what are some things that you've learned? When I started on this journey, I was really dead set that I would be just one of the, the people on the path with everyone else. I was a gatherer. I was a creator of the container, but I was not a teacher mm. and I was not a leader. I was just together with everyone. And I resisted and resisted and resisted this role of teacher for a long time because it felt self-important and I was afraid of, of allowing my ego to run away with me. So mm. afraid that I was going to go in the complete opposite direction. And so what I told people before, but of course hadn't listened to myself was the thing that you're most afraid of is the thing you're least likely to become because you are going to overcorrect for that over and over and over again. And so I realized I was, I was keeping myself small. And I know that you've seen this over and over, and I'm sure that you felt this too, this interesting dynamic between um, needing to do something out in the world and feeling like, well, I have to make it right and I got to keep it small and maybe I shouldn't be big and I shouldn't promote myself and I shouldn't put myself out there. So I yeah. waited for a long time, a long time to put myself out and it still feels incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think that what I've learned is that I actually do have something to do in the world. I do have a <laughs> role matter, to play. Vanessa, you matter. I, ma I matter and I can actually do something, yeah. you know? And what's so fascinating is, is I will say this and people will say, wait, you're insecure. You're insecure about this. Imposter like, syndrome oh. is me. Is that you Ooh, too? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Severely, severely. But I think it's so important to interrupt that dialogue. Yes. And so that's, yeah. that's sort of, I don't know if it's something I've learned or a point of growth over the last year, but it's been a point of tremendous growth for me over the last year. And so what I'm doing now, and I've just finished my first one, is doing facilitator trainings for people to facilitate. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I that's tell a huge you, step. it's a huge step. I tell you, Meredith, like the amount of shirts I sweat through and <laughs> the amount of nights I didn't sleep. I was yeah. terrified, terrified. And then I did it with an amazing group of women. I did started with a small cohort, six women. I'm going to do another one um, in July. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done even more than facilitating group is wow. helping people understand and empowering them to understand that with the right intention that they can hold space for others. I see, I see sort of an army of people who want to be of service and they're yoga instructors or acupuncturists or Reiki healers or nutritionists or life coaches. And 
this modality is not out there for them. It's, you know, why did they become a yoga instructor? Because there's a place where they can go and there's a course and it can be, you know, they can Mm -hmm. learn and there's a structure um, of learning and empowerment to say, yes, you can do this. This is a way that you can be of service in the world. So that is my big vision, Meredith, is to create that, is to create a place where people can say, yes, this is what I want to do. It's such incredibly rewarding work. Uh, I can't tell you what I realize in group is as a facilitator, you learn a lot more than you teach. You probably learn the most. And so for people, yes, (laughs) parenting, totally, totally. I mean, it couldn't be more. If somebody is interested in being of service, but also interested in their own personal journey and their own learning and being pushed to really learn and learn and learn. To me, that's been the most powerful way to do that. And, and Meredith, I don't think the learning ever decelerates. It doesn't. I think it accelerates, no. you know, I, I love it. It's exciting, but there have been moments where I've called a girlfriend and I've said, I am sitting in the fire And if I were in the matrix, I'd be like, give me the blue pill or whatever the pill is to put you back in the matrix. It's like, I want to be numb again, just for a second. This feels like hell. And uh, give me the pill to go back in the matrix. And she's like, I know you, girlfriend. You would like, I'd I'd shove it on your tongue and you'd spit it out. (laughs) I know that's what we say. Like, because I had a week like that recently. And I said, because I'd had this, and you're not an addict, so it may not be as funny to you as it is to my addict friends. But so I don't, I quit drinking. I don't do drugs. I don't smoke. I I eat a very strict meal plan. I don't cut. So I don't do a lot of my addict behaviors. And sometimes when I feel like I'm going to explode, I'll be in the kitchen and I'm like, I got to drink. Oh, I can't drink. I got to eat. I can't eat. Oh, and I'll like, I'll be standing there like something come to me that I'm allowed to do. And and then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to sit here and feel it. And I'm like, oh, I want to feel it. I want to feel it. You know, and, and that moment, I'm like, take me out of here. I want out. I want out of it. And I don't do any of it. But then you realize the 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 trajectory that you've come from. Like 10 years ago, I would have just been like, great, drink, done, out. Yeah peace out, you know, and to, to be in that place where you're all that to to go back to when you said we're constantly growing. And I told my friend, I said, we're never going to get there. I just realized this is not a destination type thing. This is life work and that's heavy and I'm tired of growing, but I don't get to say that. I don't get to say I give up. Yeah. Even when I want to, I want to give up and just find some addict behavior I can plug into that will be acceptable. (laughs) So what do I do? I knit. I started knitting. So I'm like, this is fine. This is acceptable. I'm a knitter. I'm a knitter too. (laughs) It helps. It's like, I love to knit and needlepoint. Yeah. Yeah. It's very soothing. We're just, we gotta, we gotta be in it. Yeah. I mean, there really is. First of all, once you see something, you can't really unsee it, yeah. right? And I say that all the time, to me, so true. T- to me, there's only one direction. Like I don't have a choice. And sometimes I've actually felt really lonely on that path. There was a period of time when I was thinking things and experiencing things, and sort of spending my whole mental space on ideas that nobody I knew was interested in talking about. 
And I felt really, really alone in that place. And um, I sort of thought, yeah, but there's only one direction. <laughs> you know, you can't really backpedal it. It's, it's right. just, just not kidding. possible. Just, just, <laughs> just kidding. Changed just my kidding. mind. But there have been moments where I've been like, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. I, I want to go back to numb. I changed my mind. Yeah. I changed my mind. Well, and that's I'm how like, I feel about my book. I feel yeah. that way about my book because... Um, not for what's in it. It's the book I was meant to write, but the way that I wrote it, I'm like, I really should have sugarcoated this. Like I shot <laughs> myself in the foot by telling the truth in this book and people don't want to hear it. And so then I backpedal. I'm like, I just, I'm just not doing this. I'm going to quit social media and I'm just going to go get a job and be done. <laughs> and then I'm like, I can't, I can't unsee no. it. I can't unsee that I told the truth and here we go. And you know, yes, you, it's, you're in it yeah. and, and, and yeah. people are listening. It's just, and I think that's what's hard in our culture. Um, everyone's listening, but not everyone is clapping for you and not everyone is responding. And that's hard. You know, you, you sp especially you do podcasting and that, you know, type of stuff and you spend hours on something that gets 12 views and yeah. you're like, I am, what am I doing here? No one's listening. I don't matter. And then it goes into that whole imposter syndrome and it just yeah. feeds on itself. Unless you always say I have to go forward. It doesn't yeah. matter. This is my path. This is my mission at some, you know, here I go. I'm just going to go forward. And, and for me, it's after everything I do, the minute it's over, I am visited by the doubt devils. Mm. I should have said that it was really boring. I didn't do this right. People hated it. Nobody, nobody commented. Nobody What's sent an Enneagram email and said number? it was great. Do you know your Enneagram? I don't know. You don't. Okay. No. Okay. Carry yeah. on. Carry on. Yeah. No. And it's like, and, and I literally, I'm like refreshing the survey, you know, refreshing the survey <laughs> to just like get that positive affirmation. And I actually, my new practice is like, sit in zero feedback, <laughs> sit in a place of zero feedback, mm. because that's not what you're doing it for. That's not what you're doing it for. And, um, but you know, I'm a human being and I like to be liked and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to move past that, but I'm not there. <laughs> I'm not there. I, you know, I, I was never there either. I am as close to there as I've ever been in this moment in my life. Um, just with what I, the the last week, um, yeah. when I did some Facebook posts and people left and I was like, I don't care. And I thought, is that true? Yes or no? You know, Byron Katie's like, yeah. is that true? Can I know it to be true? Um, right. <laughs> no, I think it's actually true. I don't care. And that's not been me. I've cared so much. People pleaser 101 right here. I can teach the course and to get closer to that is a version of truth. And so for you to say to sit in non-feedback, even if you can do it for 10 seconds and you could never do it before, like yeah. we're getting there because, and, and that's the, the kudos for the truth, right? When you say your truth, eventually it just, it starts to not matter. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I feel really convicted in what I'm doing. And um, I never thought that this would happen, but I've seen something in action. I've seen these groups in action. And I, it's like, 
I have to scream it because that's I'm like people need to know. Yeah. People need to know how do I get more people to know this thing is so powerful and it's so interruptive of I think the way that we think of healing, the way we think of salvation. Mm. I must be saved by someone else or I need someone to heal me. I need a therapist to fix me. I need a healer to heal me. And it really interrupts that um, idea that the healing can come from any place other than inside ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that guides aren't important and therapists aren't important and, you know, healers and teachers aren't important, but ultimately you're doing all the work. <laughs> you're doing right. all the healing work. Nobody is or doing not. any work for you. <laughs> or you're not. Or, or you're, you're not. And so, you know, one of my deep practices is really being very, very honest about, you know, my own attachment to the identity of being a teacher and my own attachment to the identity of being a healer. And I think that there are um, a lot of healers and teachers who are not in constant um, vigilance about that. And that's um, a space where people can understand in group that if somebody says, you need me, I will change your life. <laughs> it is not true. <laughs> and they should run. <laughs> and they should run. Mm -hmm. And if there is a teacher or a healer that is not constantly and consistently reminding you of your own power to heal, mm -hmm. reminding you, you that you have everything inside of you and always have had everything inside of you and that you need nothing from anybody else to heal, uh, that people need to be aware that that dynamic is happening. And so to me, group is about it being a tremendous modality for people to heal, but also about interrupting the sort of guru student mm. savior um, model of healing that we think about often yeah. when we think about teaching and healing. Yeah. Good point. Well, Vanessa, where can we find more information? How do we be a part of groups and, and yeah, where do we, where do we yeah. go? So we're, um, we're on Instagram at Nushu, N-U-S-H-U. And then you can register for our newsletter on our website, which is just www.nushu.com. And all of our offerings for uh, groups. And we're going to start doing some community live conversations and a thought leader series where I've had really wonderful people on. And I look forward, Meredith to having you on also. That's right. I um, can't weeks. wait to talk to you, but we've had some great speakers. I do them on a weekly basis. Um, so all of those offerings, if you sign up for the newsletter on Nushu.com, you can receive. Very good. So the final question, I know you listen to yeah. my podcast, so you know what's coming. Um, the podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, meaning that we all have the same 24 hours in our day. But what we do in those 24 hours leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. So what is something that you, Vanessa do on a daily basis that you think really pays off big, big dividends in your life and your health and your happiness? The very, very beginning of my transformation started with a cup of tea in the morning. I was a mom of five and I was constantly catering to everybody else's needs. 
And so my first act of revolution, my first rebellious act was I said to myself, I will brew myself a cup of tea and I will sit down and I will drink this cup of tea before I cater to anybody else's needs. Mm. And it seems like such a tiny thing, but it was really, really important because it was me telling myself the needs that you have are worth attending to. And now I often check in with my needs and I often attend to my needs, but it's that daily check-in on how are you feeling? What do you need today? And the sense of worth that I got from that first cup of tea when I said, you, you deserve to have your needs met. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's, That's it's that the, the metaphorical cup of tea, whether it's a cup of tea or not, but something that reminds you that um, how you feel what you need is important. So great. So great. Well, I look forward to being a part of New Shoe's Thought Leader series in a couple of weeks. So everyone go check out New Shoe. And thank you, Vanessa. This was wonderful. Thank you, Meredith. All right. I really soon. appreciate being on. All right. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.